Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of the Liberty B-Side Podcast. My name is Steve King, and alongside me is Matt Luloyan. Matt, welcome to another week on the B-Side Podcast. Yeah, we're back. We're back. We, uh, I guess we're only gone for <clears throat> but We're back we're now. Back. We're Here back. We come. This is big time. <laughs> this right. is a, yeah, so it, it does feel like we're back maybe in a unique way because true. Uh, yesterday was fall kickoff. Yep. This week is kind of the launch slash relaunch of our Bible study groups. So B-Side always, that was the original, maybe that's good even to, to start. The, the original purpose of B-Side was to be a supplement for our Bible study groups in particular. Yes. To kind of take the sermon and try to try to pr- uh, give an, a venue for Q&A and also to try to, to take the content that we cover in Scripture in a sermon and then bring it, which we do some in the sermon, but bring it more and more to the everyday applicable and set up your Bible study groups for good discussion. So, that's right. So we end up... Uh, more people listen to the B-Side podcast when we're in the middle of a series that Bible study groups are studying together than not. That makes sense. That's it planned. It's expected. kind of the whole thing. Right. Yeah. That's right. So the, the rest of the time is just more bonus content yes. for us to unpack sermons a little bit more and do some of the same stuff. But right. Bible study groups typically aren't meeting in the summer, many of them. And yeah. So this is truly a welcome back it moment because here we are. Fall series started yesterday. Bible studies formally relaunching. Yep. Let's jump in. Uh, we're in First Kings for the fall. We are in First Kings. So uh, we're in the the second half of First Kings and yes. the first half of Second Kings. That's right. We're in this eighty year window uh, that covers uh, the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. They're about um, so First and Second Kings together cover a period of about four hundred years. But a lot of those two books. A disproportionate amount of the the words of those books are focused on that eighty year window, right? Uh, where Elijah and Elisha were living and ministering, right? Um, so that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in in there those the parts of First and Second Kings that talk about Elijah and Elisha. So First Kings seventeen through Second Kings thirteen uh, is where the series is going to going to take us uh, right. this fall. Right? Yeah, excited for that. Um, and let's jump into yesterday's sermon then. Sure. Because we have some questions. We do. So just if you're listening for the first time. Uh, send in questions as you have yep. them after each Sunday service. We always record, if it's helpful to know, we record these mid-morning on Monday, somewhere around 10, 30, or 11. Uh, so have questions in on Sunday afternoon, evening, and Monday morning. We can get them into the show, uh, which is which is great. So we have a couple questions. We do. Before we get to them, yeah. give us, Matt, roll through kind of a 90-second summary of your sermon from yesterday. Yeah, well, so just for one second, big, big picture vision for the series. Two big things in this whole series that I hope we see as a church. One is that faithlessness faithlessness is not a new phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And really to to say, we just have a tendency as human beings to think when things are bad, when we see people rebelling against God or rejecting God, we tend to think our era is the worst era that's ever been. Yeah, Man, can you believe how bad things have gotten? People are so far from God. And it's not at all to deny that there there is rejection of God. There is rebellion against God, all, all of which is horrific and tragic. But faithlessness is really not a new phenomenon, and we have to not be surprised by it as we often are. Yeah. So that's one big picture to see here. The other one is to say that the proper response to faithlessness is faith. And even to, and this gets into one of the questions that got asked, which is great. So we'll get there in a minute. But um, to have 
faith that God is God of the impossible, that mm-hmm. he, he, he acts supernaturally and powerfully uh, in our world, in our lives. And, and we, there are things that, that we long to see happen that we cannot do sure. and that only God can do and must do. And so to, to really live a life of, of more of that raw, genuine faith before God, where I think it's easy for me and for many, maybe in our theological tradition to kind of pat ourselves with all of the like, well, but only if it's God's will. And I don't really want to ask because I don't want to be disappointed if it, if the answer is no. Mm-hmm. So I think th- those are kind of two overarching hopes as we get into this series that, that we'd, that we'd respond to faithlessness with that kind of faith that God does the impossible, yeah. uh, but also not be surprised by faithlessness. So that's yeah. big picture. And then yesterday, just diving into where we meet Elijah in first Kings 17, uh, it talks about three different kinds of famine. So we talked about a spiritual famine, a physical famine, and a famine of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can get into any more of those, you know, if questions come up. But um, spiritual famine is really the where where God makes His words scarce, uh, where there's a lack of at least a prevalence. There's there's no prevalence of a faithful ministry of the Word of God. Right. And that already was the case uh, mm. when Elijah enters the scene. It's really bad in the Northern Kingdom of Israel. Right. But then. You know, we meet Elijah for like two seconds and then he's gone for another three years. So it's like God's God's not just God's also sending spiritual famine. He's removing his prophet, his faithful mouthpiece mm-hmm. from. Yeah, that's what the text says. Man, the Bible says you won't be able to find it. Yeah, that's. Word, right? Yeah. So I, I brought in a passage from Amos specifically right, yeah. that talks about that kind of famine. So that's spiritual famine. Uh, physical famine, of course, is no food and no water. Um, God stops the rain for three years. Through through Elijah he uses Elijah to to pronounce that, um, and that affects not only the, that northern kingdom of Israel but the surrounding area, and so many people go hungry. We'll see more of the effects of that next week uh, when we get into First Kings eighteen. Uh, but in the physical famine, God's miraculous provision shows up, and He provides for Elijah, and then Elijah goes to uh, goes outside of Israel, outside of the territory of God's people, into Zarephath and Sidon, and um, God uses him to provide for a widow and her son there. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is a famine of hope, uh, really uh, a a hopeless moment for this widow when then her son dies. And and what do you do in the midst of the hopelessness? Um, So, and we get to see then, you know, the first instance of a resurrection in scripture uh, where um, Elijah takes this, this boy, his body up to, uh, his upper chamber prays to God, cries out to God, and God hears his prayer, and the boy is is raised from the dead. Um, so even how that all foreshadows to uh, this big idea that um, that God does not submit to death, but death submits to Him. Yeah, love it. Lo- I love how you, that was a, good, a great finish. Yeah, got us fired up. Got us fired up. Yeah, well, I, I was up. fired up. Yeah. You know. So yeah, yeah. We get fired up over here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's get into some questions. So some good ones came in. So yeah. this one, uh, the question, kind of an underlying overarching question for the series, sure. prompted even by this first sermon. How should current day Christians think about supernatural intervention by God? Um, does it still happen? Should we hope for it or expect it? And yeah. so they, I was talking to this person during coffee hour, coffee hour yesterday. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit and they just said this quite, Hey, we'd love to hear you guys talk more about yeah. this. So he knows what's coming next week. Yeah. Right. With a, with a, a miracle next week in first Kings 18. Yep. Um, but even just, there were some miracles even in first Kings 17 and just 
man, what do we do with that as current day Christians with the yeah. supernatural intervention, not the gifts yep. that we have. It's, we're not talking about cessationism right now or in that, in that discussion. Sure. We're more in just like, wow, God, does God supernaturally intervene in creation? Yeah. I would say absolutely he does. <clears throat> um, and I would say we, we often, I think in, um, in Western rational, secular, humanistic, scientific kind of cultures tend to see less of that. And I think there is a correlation mm. in that um, most of us don't live our lives with enough awareness that there is power outside of what we can see. Yeah. Um, so I completely understand this question. I think I'm so glad it was asked because I'm sure that this is not, this is many people, I think, in our, in our church, in our region that would ask this exact question. Yeah, sure. And I think that's where it's really important, even in, as one of those overarching themes of, and hopes of this series is to say, yeah, we really do need to recover the kind of faith that God is a supernatural God and, mm -hmm. uh, and intervenes in supernatural ways. Now, um, there's, I have, you know, there, there's, there's stories that, um, there tend to be more stories from if you talk to missionaries in in contexts where there aren't the resources that are necessarily available to mm. many of us in the West, where where miracles of provision would still happen, um, there are miracles of like and supernatural interventions that are kind of spiritual warfare interventions. Where yep. um, I was talking to uh, some pastors in our in our community of churches that they've got some connections to uh, a village in I believe it was South Sudan. And how the local witch doctors, um, artifacts that the witch doctor used for worship and to try to heal different people were super in front of, in front of some of the pastors in South Sudan's eyes were like burned up supernaturally. Mm -hmm. and, and so you hear more stories maybe coming from places where, um, where not everything is explained away. Yeah. Um, supernaturally. Yeah. And actually, man, here's a great, it's kind of an anecdotal, probably apocryphal story. I'm thinking, I think it's St. I think it's um I think it's Thomas Aquinas. I think this is attributed to him, but it's it's apocryphal, so it's you know potentially not not actually true. Quote, but he was walking with a friend around the Vatican in Rome, and this would have been I don't know 1200 or something like that. And he's walking around and you know the, <clears throat> seeing the opulence of the Church of Saint Peter's Basilica and, mm -hmm. and just the whole grounds there of the Vatican. <clears throat> and the friend kind of commented to to Saint to, to Thomas Aquinas saying. Um, Hey, you know, I guess, I guess the church can no longer say silver or gold. We have none. And referring to this miracle in the book of acts where this, this, this lame man uh, asks for Peter and John to heal him. And they, yeah. and they, they ask him to, for help. And they say, you know, well, silver or gold, we have none, but what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus rise and walk. Yeah. So referring to that, this friend goes, well, I guess, you know, I guess we can no longer say the church, you know, no longer has silver and gold. Yeah. And, and Aquinas's response was, well, neither can we say, and also neither can we say rise up and walk. Sure. So I think there is a correlation that we see between supernatural intervention mm -hmm. and the miraculous and um, even the the wealth and opulence and decadence that a society experiences mm -hmm. that they're that they have in some ways um, created a life that that shields them and inhibits them from at least pattern wise. God, God can still intervene supernaturally through all of that. But in a, from a pattern standpoint that we've kind of we've kind of created a, a buffer and an obstacle um, that God tends to not show up and do as many supernatural things mm -hmm. in cultures that are opulent and rich as he does in, in cultures that are poor. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's good insights. 
the uh, the person I was talking to actually brought up the story you told about the missionaries that saw the um, the witch doctors kind of yeah. pieces burned up there. Okay. Yeah. Because that was a story that was shared. Yeah, maybe um, that was that would have been Steve Huber sharing that. Steve Huber okay. shared that yep. many months yep. ago, um, and this, I, th- I love the way the person was reflecting on it. She's kind of sharing that story, going, "Man, prone in our heart to just go, yeah, maybe, maybe that happened. Sure. Does that really yep. happen? You yep. know." And I think that's if any one of us finds ourselves going like being skeptical, yeah, of God's intervention happening today. That'd be good to kind of like why is why is that skepticism yeah. there? Yeah. You know, and and it's not. You know, none of us as Christians are guaranteed to experience this this miraculous intervention. Mm-hmm. Nor, I think, should we actually be looking for it as if that is the stamp of God being real. Right. Um, you know. Yep. So, so that's just. So, if if we find ourselves, and that's true for me, I've I've, I've had to think through this different times in my life. If I find myself being so skeptical of that, of hearing the story of a, of a miracle, mm-hmm. why am I skeptical of that? Am I? Yeah. Do I do I doubt God's authority? Am I jealous for the experience? Mm-hmm. Like, is, is mm-hmm. there something I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm not associated. Is it like, is it FOMO or is it like, sure. what, what is it there that yeah. would make me want to be skeptical? And I think we should lean into that because God absolutely is sovereign over all of his creation, does yeah. intervene. Yeah. Um, you know, I think what's also helpful just for us to recognize when we read through first and second Kings, we're going to see a lot of miracles. Yeah. And you see um, condensed in storytelling. Yeah. What you, you know, uh, 80 year period of time, for sure. right? Uh, what you don't see is the thousands and thousands of millions of people alive during this period of time who didn't witness miracles, who lived sure. everyday lives. Elijah sent out in the wilderness for three years. Well, three years of nothing, mm-hmm. right? So, well, there were some miracles there because the birds were attending. The, I mean, you did have okay, sure, sure. okay. Yeah. Yeah, like the real Disney was happening, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, so the miracles are happening, but like, there's yeah. also a lot of time where it's it, there are no miracles happening. Yeah. So we can be prone, I think, sometimes to go, "Wow, all the miracles were happening all the time." Well, not really. Sure. Miracles may actually be happening just as much now. Yeah. In ways that we don't see, and, and that's we're not guaranteed to see it. Yeah, and you think even fast forward to the ministry of Jesus and all the miracles he performed, they stood out, and they had they were demonstrations of power in the way they were powerful because <laughs> they were not yeah the everyday norm yeah if they were the everyday norm and everyone around them was doing supernatural things all the time they would have been like oh well here's just another guy that does supernatural things that's right but they stood out and they were demonstrations of of the of his power yeah um because they were unique like that yeah so i think we should hope for it pray for it expect for it um i think praying for people's healing uh, is another is another way we would see that. I think praying for people's deliverance from addiction. I think for praying for for reconciliation and relationships that doesn't happen apart from the Holy Spirit changing. I mean, all, our whole salvation in its own way That's is right. supernatural intervention. It exactly. Is, it is a, is a hard heart of stone being ripped out and replaced by a soft heart of flesh. Yeah. So at, at a at a baseline, I think we look at that and say there is no salvation apart from the supernatural intervention of God. That's right. And I don't just mean the death and resurrection of Jesus, of course, of course, I mean that, but I mean like in any individual's life, it requires supernatural intervention and then, and then move out from there into broader and maybe more visible, uh, tangible, experiential type demonstrations of God's power that would be supernatural too. Yeah. Yeah. The, maybe the last thought I have on that is in, 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 in recognizing all of that, let us never fall asleep to this being a spiritual world. Like we live in spiritual form, in a spiritual world. And there are also uh, uh, spiritual forces opposed to God For that sure. are at work For sure. in this world. Yep. 
And so um, let's never fall asleep to that too. If we ever find ourselves being skeptical of the work of God, wow, wouldn't that actually suggest that we're being skeptical in a way that's really unhelpful to the work of Satan? Yeah. And and we should never fall asleep in that way. That's good. That's right. So we to the next question. Yeah. Um, so this person writes, as it relates to the famine of hope. Yeah. So this is like that third of your three points. Yep. Matt encouraged us to stay silent rather than rebuke misplaced anger and carry the burdens of the hopeless. What counsel or encouragement is there for the widow in this scenario? Um, how about the widow whose son is not raised yeah. at our pleading and thus does not get to respond by saying, now I know you are a man of God and the Lord's uh, word for your mouth is true. Yeah. So maybe unpack that a little bit sure. in context, sure. where you're preaching through. And I think there's maybe t- at least one and a half questions in that yep. to work through. Yep. So this woman's son dies. Uh, she immediately is upset very understandably and directs that anger at Elijah. Like, what have you to do with me? You know, Elijah, like, why did you come here? Did you come here just to bring my sin to remembrance and essentially punish me for my sin and give me this consequence for it. Mm -hmm. And so the idea there is she's actually angry at God. Like she, after God has now provided for her in giving her this miraculous, you know, unending supply of flour and oil Mm -hmm. never runs out Mm -hmm. for the the time that Elijah is with her and until it rains, so she has a sense that God is actually present and powerful. That's right. And, but I think I think what's going on is up to that point, the famine is a widespread circumstance. Like people around her are also experiencing it. This one feels personal. This one feels like God is picking on her because it's her son that dies. Sure. Not from famine, but just <clears throat> from from his illness. That's right. So so she so she feels like I'm angry at God now because I have a sense that He's behind this. But I'm taking my anger out on this prophet who's here because he's he's right in front of me. Flesh, it's easier it's easier to get angry at somebody we can see. Yeah, he's the representative of God, totally. Yeah, physically. Yeah. So the counsel that this person's referring to in the question says, like, people will 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 misdirect their anger at Christians, even though they're angry at God, um, and to not to not jump in and rebuke them for it. But to just essentially overlook the offense of that mm-hmm. and 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 stay silent and open your arms to help carry their their burden uh, of their hopelessness. So the first question here, what counsel or encouragement is there for the widow in this scenario? It would be um, as much as possible, I think, to, to actually take your anger to God. Uh, and I don't know that she had the grid for that. Like she was such she's so new to this. She's from yeah. a she's from a non-Israelite nation. Um, probably a worshiper of Baal. Like we don't know a lot of details about her or her life, but until Elijah comes, probably no knowledge of, of Yahweh. Sure. And so she's just getting her head into this, this, this world. But for us to say, um, to take your anger, to take your sorrow, take your lament directly to God. Um, so, so she would not have had, had access to the Psalms the way we have the Psalms. Right. And the Psalms give us an incredible precedent. Um, and just a, a, you know, it's a book of prayer for all kinds of emotions and experiences that we have in life. And it's encouraging to, for us to take all of that to the, to the face of God ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I would say for her, as much as possible, that would be the, that would be the encouragement yeah. um, to her. Now, the other part of this question, what about the widow whose son's not raised um, and doesn't get to say, now I know you're a man of God and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. Um. Man, and the counsel for her, um, you know, I think would would first, if I'm in Elijah's seat in that moment, would st- still to be to do exactly what he does here, to, mm-hmm. to still weep with her, to, to, to yeah. pray for God's intervention. <clears throat> um, and then and then even to maybe share his own sorrow or discouragement 
or anger that God is not answering the prayer the way he wants to. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you, you even would, you're in a sense, um, you're building that camaraderie and in, in solidarity really with her in her hopelessness, in her sorrow when yeah. God doesn't answer the prayer. And, and you don't have to, you know, there, there can be space, especially it seems like they probably would have had a relationship, um, that they, cause they, you know, he had a room in above her home. Yeah. So it seems like they would have had lots of conversations. So they probably had a relational context in which they could have conversations about why is God not answering my prayer or yeah. what might be the reason? Like you can, you can have all kinds of conversation about it. Um, but I think the, the main thing to establish there is that it's okay for us to also experience disappointment, sorrow, anger at God when he doesn't hear our interceding for another person. Like yeah. we, we don't have to then go like, we don't, I think sometimes we, we feel so like, I think we feel angry and hopeless and, but we don't, we don't want to say that ourselves. Sure. When we're, like if I'm interceding for you, Steve, and God's not answering my prayer for you, it's uncomfortable for me because I feel like, well, maybe my prayers aren't effective and maybe sure. they're yep. falling short. Yep. And so rather than me going, you know what, I'm, I'm really disappointed too. I don't know why God's not hearing me or you as we're praying for this thing. I can kind of turn around and go back to you and go like, maybe there's something in your life that's messed up or maybe sure. there's, or, yeah. you know, or maybe there's, um, maybe you don't have enough faith and that's the, like you can turn it back on that person yep. in a way that I would say is, is really destructive where the opportunity there is for us to, to also share our own disappointment, mm. our own, yeah. our own anger, our own sorrow. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's maybe where my mind goes. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, even the, just, I think you're right on about that. Like where we're prone then to react to the unanswered prayer. And sometimes we could do, we just even just stay silent in a way that's unhelpful. Hey, I'll pray for you. Right. And then you never hear from me again. You don't <laughs> it's like, and I'm like, well, I guess that prayer never got answered. And yeah. And maybe I, maybe I don't want to, maybe I don't actually want to say something. I don't know what to say, but I, so I just say silent. Yeah. And then it's like, then you, you almost heap some judgment on someone or condemn them or make them just feel embarrassed for being in need. Right. Um, and, Maybe if any one of us is um, not wh- whether we stay silent or not, if we just withdraw and we just move on to the next thing, sure, and we just move past and we kind of treat that opportunity for prayer, the unanswered prayer, we just kind of hmm. unconsciously file away in the compartmentalizing, like, well, that was the unanswered prayer. Yeah, move on in life and not sit. Like I think we should sit with that anger, sit with that disappointment, sit with that discouragement yeah. ourselves too. And then it's good to do it with the other person. Yeah. Validate them, love them, care for them. Yeah. Um, solidarity. Like d- there's nothing special about any one of us that we're praying for the other person. Sure. We're, we're also those that need prayer. Yeah. So like, let's not stay silent and let's not compartmentalize as if, oh, that just didn't happen. Yeah. And maybe next time the luck of the draw, God will answer it. Yeah. If we're doing that, if we're functioning that way, I think where there's a little bit of a, a broken understanding of how we plead before God. Absolutely. And how he answers us. Well, and, and I, I, if I'm honest and I'm imagining this is true for more than just me, um, me praying for someone is often, um, is often couched. Like I, I won't, I won't like weep and pound the table and pray for someone desperately. And in part that's because I'm forgetful and in part that's because I'm, um, maybe not entering into that at the emotional level that I need to with it, like to actually carry their burden with them yeah. in a way that would be good. But part of it's also, if I'm honest, I don't want to like plead for something that God's going to say no to. Sure. Like I, like that's, I was even getting into that a little bit, the very intro of my sermon the other day. Like I, I'm tired of like, 
I'm tired of playing with pads on. <laughs> like I'm tired sure, of, yeah, I'm okay. tired, you know, like I'm yeah. tired of, of a life of faith that's so bubbled and bubble wrapped. Right. Like it's like, you know, like, man, if, if I really plead for this thing and yeah. God says no, yeah, where's that going to leave me? Yeah. And, and is that going to also make me look ineffective in my prayers? And even mm-hmm. as a pastor and elder, maybe I feel this in a unique way yeah. in some sense go like, well, if I don't, if I really plead for something and God doesn't answer, is that saying something about my own effectiveness and my, am I, am I a vessel for, for good and noble use? Am I yeah. like, am I something am I doing in impeding my, like I can, I can go to a dark place about my own intercession. Then. Yeah. So if I'm honest, I'm not interceding and pleading sometimes because of that. Like, yeah, sure. And building yeah. those walls and those pads there. Yep. So I think it, what do I have control over? I can't, I, I, you know, I can't control what God is going to do. Yeah. The result, yeah. the result. I think God, like it is, there's more power in prayer than sometimes reformed people give credit to where, mm-hmm. where like it says there in verse 22 and God listened to the prayer of Elijah. That's like right. yeah. his prayer was effective. I mean, even that referring to Elijah, James and James chapter five goes, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He prayed. And it didn't rain for three years. Like it, mm-hmm. like, does our, that's a great question for another day, so I won't introduce it. But like, do, do our prayers affect? Yeah, <laughs> uh, sure. Affect God? Like, that, does God? Yeah. yeah. So how does that play? How do we do sovereignty? That, right? Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. So that's maybe. Well, I'm sure we'll touch on that at some point in this series. But all that to say, pray and plead as if God really does hear our prayers because He does. Pray and plead without the pads on. That's I think the best we can, the best kind of love we can offer to another person. Yeah. In, in any kind of scenario where they're, they're angry, hopeless, yeah, sorrowful. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Let's go to the third question. The, I, this third questioner had two questions. Okay, so great. Let's go to the yeah. first one. Yep. Um, so Matt directed directly <laughs> at you. You're on the hot seat. Matt, in your sermon, Matt, by the way, uh, you said, <laughs> I, kings... I doubt it was that uh, confrontational. <laughs> that, that's how I read it. In your sermon, you said, <laughs> um, no, okay. How the kings after David, particularly in the northern kingdom, we're not following God nor ruling in righteousness. And First Kings 16, so this is the chapter, we didn't talk about this yesterday, but it's some good context for leading into chapter 17. Yep. It says how Hiles firstborn died when he started building Jericho, and his youngest died when he set up Jericho's gates, according to the curse that had been spoken by Joshua. So there's some penalties for yep. going back and rebuilding Jericho. Jericho fell yep. when they marched around it. There was a curse pronounced on it. Said you're you'll rebuild its its walls at the at the cost of your firstborn, and it set up its gates at the cost of your youngest. And yep. that's, so that happened. That's right. That yeah. happened. Quick tangent. Shout out in Liberty, uh, yeah. student, Liberty Kids yesterday. Yeah, Jericho's did. wall came down. It did. Yeah. In the red room. It did. We had some volunteers that dressed up, put on some costumes. That was awesome. There were a lot of kazoos. In there, the were kazoos. there were kazoos. Kazoos. Yes. Those were the trumpets. That's right. So yeah. if anybody yesterday was annoyed with the kazoos <laughs> in the church, think about the people in Jericho hearing the trumpets. That's, that's right. exactly what we were going that's for. What it, that's, that's what we were going <laughs> for. So, okay. Anyway, all right. So back to the question. So, okay. So the Hiles. Uh, firstborn died, his youngest died. Um, were the kings and Hyle acting in defiance of God or had they forgotten and or no longer knew the word of God? Yeah. Uh, great question. Like the kings, so I think the kings all that are, that were, that are not following God. Yep. Are they, are they truly re- uh, rebelling against God or are they just become so ignorant and lose the word of God? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. 
there's some specific kings that it seems more like one of those things than the other. Sure. There, especially in the Southern Kingdom, there's like a like I think it's Josiah's reign. Man, there's so many names that I can that they Lives. all. Yeah, Lives. I need my chart in front of me that I don't have right now. But I think it was during Josiah's reign that they rediscover the yes. law. Yep. And so there's definitely circumstances there where it's like people have so many years have passed, people have forgotten, and yep. generationally, like this pattern. It's just, this doesn't exactly follow this pattern, but we it sometimes talks about generational um, changes where like if one generation believes and faith is faithful to God, the next generation assumes those things and the third generation rejects it. That's right. And so you do you don't see exactly like it's always first, second, third generation, but you do see those patterns of belief uh, in the southern kingdom, at least uh, you don't ever see that in the northern kingdom. Uh, belief, but then assumption and then rejection. And then somewhere in there, it can just be lost. So you do see some instances of it being forgotten. Right. The ones who forget, and the only ones I can think of are in the Southern Kingdom, I think once they are reminded, uh, respond, moving dramatically into faithfulness, even if not perfect, of course it's not perfect, but they move dramatically into faithfulness. Whereas Josiah is the example of that. That's the the main example I can think of. Right. Whereas in the Northern Kingdom, um, even if they forgot, God sent them enough reminders via the prophets. That's and right. Elijah and Elisha are two of them, but not the only ones. There's there's more, uh, and there's other accounts of other prophets that ministered during these times as well. So there are enough accounts that when those things were, when they were reminded of those things, they chose to reject it. Right. So I think I think that's how you would understand that that they were <clears throat> they were defiant people defiant kings and to the extent that they were ignorant once their ignorance was remedied they were still defiant sure, <laughs> they, they, right. yeah, they chose right. to be defiant they doubled down they doubled yeah. down yeah um so i think it's mostly that yep i i always i do love the story of Josiah. i always love that that man just like rediscover the law it's like dust it off oh what's this and it's like and you fall in love with it again and, and he, I mean, and he weeps. Yeah. He's like, what have we been doing? Yeah. Like it's, and, th- and that's, that's a sign of genuine repentance. That's a sign of like, oh, we, we have missed this yeah. badly. Yeah. Um, now, interestingly, this is going to throw a wrench in the gears. And so like, it's a little foreshadowing, right? Okay. Ahab right. Yep. repents at the end of his life. Hmm. Right. The worst of all the kings. That's right. And what do we do with that? What right. do we yeah. do with yeah. that? Right. We don't like that. Will we see King Ahab? We do not like that. Right. Like, yeah. Right. yeah, sure. So so it's a little bit interesting there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, and yet, his reign is still awful. Right. And leads many people away from God. It's right. like a death. He was the worst. He was worse than all those before him. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So I think that's, um, I think it's best to understand it as defiance, suppression, there is some ignorance in there. I don't know specifically about Heil setting up Jericho. Um, it seems like once his firstborn died, when he was setting up the, the start of it, that maybe someone would have remembered like, oh, yeah, there's a curse on this place. Like, sure. stop. Yeah. And he, it seems like he didn't. He didn't. Right. Um, it, it seems like the pattern is whenever there is some some truth brought to light to counter someone's complete ignorance or, or forget, forgetfulness, yeah. that they still are defiant. They choose yeah. defiance. Yeah. So, all right, the next question from the same questioner uh, questions about Baal. You mentioned that as a god of fertility, he, Baal, would die every year. Would he be resurrected again? Or how would he, quote unquote, start again the next year? That was a curious point to me because it seems to show another aspects of Baal's inferiority. Jesus died once and died once and rose once, and that is sufficient. Yeah, and that's exactly right. Yeah. So, so Baal would, uh, as the legend went, as the myth went, 
Um, he would die every year at the end of harvest season, uh, and he would submit to death. Yep. And then he would be resurrected. He would rise again uh, at the start of the the, the next the next season, the right. next sowing season. So he was. So every year he had to go through that. Every year he had to go through a death and resurrection. Right. So that it is it is another distinction of Jesus is, was once for all. One mm-hmm. death, one resurrection. Mm-hmm. That would have been a great way to also kind of, I think, land the plane on that point of the sermon yesterday is to talk about that idea, the once for all death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, my mind last week went more to the idea that Baal had to submit to death. Yes. Yeah, over he did. and over again. He did. He yeah. had to submit to death. There was something stronger than him that had to submit to death. Right. Whereas God's demonstrating in Baal's own backyard with the first resurrection that we have recorded in all of scripture, I don't submit to I'm not a kind of God like Baal that submits yeah. to death. Actually, I have power over death. That's, That's right. Death submits to me. Yeah, he um there was a submission. There's also like almost like a maybe a deal made with death. It's like he huh. gets to raise every year, but because death yeah. had tricked him in the mythology, he has to go back mm-hmm. every year. Mm-hmm. And it's like this little, it's like an agreement. Yeah. And it's a submission, but it's almost like uh, we're playing, we're all agreeing to play by these certain rules that we have to all submit to. Even death yeah. has to submit to the rules and the agreement. You're like, man, God is supreme. Christ is supreme. There's no, uh, there's no deal. There's yeah. no wager. There's no, there's no uh, middle ground. You yeah. know, it's just like Christ rules over death and that's it. Yep. Victory is secure and final. Yep. Which that's is right. awesome. It is. That's, yeah. That's the, that's the moment, right? So yeah. Just, that's I'm the done. moment. And, yeah. you, and you see, and, and we'll see throughout the series, a, a lot of parallels between Elijah and Elisha and Jesus. Yeah. And, and even more specifically, Elijah and John the Baptist right. yeah. and Elisha and Jesus. That's so right. like that, yeah. actually the last sermon in the whole series, which will lead us really well into Advent. Yep. We'll, we'll, we'll tie in a lot of those parallels from the Old Testament to the New. That is, yeah, I see it. That's okay. Well, that's, those are our questions for this week. Mm-hmm. Knowing that that's the last sermon weeks from now. Where are we going next week? We're going to 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18. Back up. It's the big showdown. The big showdown. It's, it's Elijah and the prophets of Baal. That's how it's listed in the Bible. The big showdown. The big, you know what? There's the a great, break. I'm going to probably pull some stuff in from this this week. There's a great um, children's book. Okay. Uh, it's part of a new series that I, t- Stories That Tell the Truth, I think is okay. the name of the series. Great series, really well illustrated. Um, and the, the book for this one is called The God Contest. Oh, okay. Which God, God is the real contest. God? How about mm-hmm. that? I think it's great. I think it's a great summary. That's a nice line. The God Contest. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's good. Well, that's where we're going next week. Yeah. Um, you'll be preaching then, and then we'll, we're on. So how many weeks total? Looks like... I think 11 or 12. Yeah, 11 or 12, right? See uh, that? Yeah, it's now till Advent. So yep. we, we Advent starts at the very end of November this year. We're back in this rhythm that I really love, personally, okay. of doing an Old Testament text in yes. the fall because yep. I think that really paves the way for and and deepens and sweetens our celebration of Advent. Like yep. we, we anticipate Christ through the Old Testament. And so we as a church family anticipate Christ through the fall and then we arrive at Advent and here's Jesus. Yep. <laughs> here's his here's his coming. You know, Advent means coming arrival. So right. that's how. So I love doing that. Love it. Uh, encouragement to Bible study groups. Yep. Uh, well, maybe just a quick Commercial. If yep. you haven't yet gotten your Bible study guide, yep. make sure you reach out to me. Reach out to me. Uh, Steve King, email sking at liberty.org. Throw Not that skiing, but close to It looks Not, like it, it almost looks like, like, it always throws me out. It looks without like the eye. Yeah. Without an eye. With, Take an eye out. Only one eye. One eye. Sking at liberty.org. Uh, if you need a Bible study guide, they're $5 each. Groups are formally starting back up this week. If you haven't heard from your Bible study leader, reach out to them. I'm sure you have, right? Um, and go and come prepare to Bible study groups. Um, come prepared, having gotten into the questions, reading, reflecting on them, 
engaging conversation. The questions are in there. Um, and also at the back, there's always the Rhythm of Grace yep. questions too. So that's just some helpful additional group study or individual reflection questions. So to pick up these guides, take a look through them, enjoy the start to uh, Bible study groups uh, forming and starting up again. And we'll take it one week at a time. Yeah. And if you have questions that arise either in your Bible study groups, looking back at what we just preached on, that's what you're meeting about. Yeah. Or as you have ones each Sunday, send them in, right? Yep. Send in questions. We always love to get questions. So whether we yeah. have... It was great to be great to be back yes. with questions this week yep. too. So thank you for those of you that sent them in. That's great. Well, thanks everyone for joining today. Uh, we will see you at some point this week. If not, uh, next week, Sunday for worship. Enjoy the rest of the week. Yeah. Take care, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources, information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.